Part 3, Chapter 20 Four years passed so quickly Drew didn't even notice. She grew taller, her voice deepening a bit, and she was growing into her power, her father said. Her clothes seemed to grow to accommodate her, changing mysteriously into more adult styles that both fit both her and the time. When she'd returned from her encounter with Penny and she told her father what Penny had said, he had looked more concerned about the news that something was coming than about Penny being free. They spent a lot of time individually and together searching for Penny and not finding him. Drew's father began sending her on errands alone now, trusting her to deal with threats without his help. She didn't know for sure, but she suspected he spent a lot of the time she was gone searching for Penny himself. Sometimes she suspected he'd actually found Penny and killed him and didn't tell her. Richard's son, James, came to work for Drew's father too, like Gerald, and Drew was given the task of teaching the young man, now a lot taller, stronger looking, but still with the talent of turning his face bright red how to use the little bit of power that he had to detect falsehood, just like his father. Since being rescued from the Orthosar, Richard's health had begun to fail, and Drew knew it would only be a few more months before the man died. When she wasn't studying or off on an errand, Drew spent a lot of time with James. She taught him to read something that wasn't required of her. She did just because she thought she should. Drew's father spent a lot of time trying to discover whatever it was Penny had found. He consulted with other people who possessed power and brought in artifacts that would help him to focus his own, but he had no luck in finding anything. He decided that Penny was either lying or much more powerful than he'd guessed. Drew also spent some time exploring the world she found in the Walker Worlds. While she did consider visiting her mother, her father had warned her against it and she could not bring herself to disobey him. But it was fun, she thought, to simply go into a town somewhere and look around. Money was never a problem for her and she enjoyed shopping, even though Margin Corps provided her with almost anything she'd need. She liked picking things out on her own. Drew was on a shopping trip visiting a small town not unlike the places where she'd lived with her mother when Penny found her again. The town was next to the ocean and Drew found a small cafe where she could see it, the waves crashing on a rocky beach down a short hill from where she sat and sipped her coffee. She had a few bags from the shops along the area that she put into one of the other chairs. There were a few other people sitting at tables around her and she could smell food cooking and was considering ordering something to eat when, suddenly, Penny was there in the chair across from her. When she was out, she kept herself ready for an attack and she was about to strike when he smiled and held up a hand. Don't, he said. He was wearing a necklace, a tiny green jewel hanging from it. The jewel radiated power, Penny touched it with his fingertips, holding it up so she could see it better. If you strike at me, it'll explode with enough force to kill everyone in this area. It only took a moment for Drew to use her power to examine it and discover that he was telling the truth. 
The tiny thing was packed with more power than she thought possible. What do you want? she asked. I thought it was time we talked again, Penny said. His voice was deeper, and he was bigger, she thought, his cheeks and chins darkening with a beard. She got the feeling that he wouldn't be quite as awkward as he once was. Everything about him radiated power, much more than he had before, she thought. For the first time, she doubted she'd be able to destroy him if she tried. Has your father found what I told you about yet? I know he's been looking, Penny said. No, he thinks you're lying about that. Oh, it's coming, no doubt. He'll be able to sense it before much longer, but by then it'll be too late. What is it? Drew asked. It's something left over from the dawn of time. An incredibly powerful creature. A god. If it's all that powerful, we couldn't fight it anyway, Drew said. At least not fight it and win. Exactly, Penny said. He leaned forward in his chair, lowering his voice. And the thing is so strong that it changes the world around it. It's just passing through space right now, and it'll collide with the Earth. All of the Earths, that is. It's strong enough to have an impact on all the worlds that you watch over. What will happen, Drew asked. It sleeps, and as it sleeps, it dreams, and its dreams warp the reality around it. Remember when I told you that you can shape reality? This thing does that on a scale you can't even begin to understand. And it's alien, Drew, a sleeping alien god that will change our world into something from one of its dreams. That may not be so bad, Drew said. Penny chuckled. It'll change the physical laws of the universe, at least locally. Humanity won't survive. But you have a plan, Drew asked. Yes. It'll work, too. It'll work a lot better, though, if you came on board with it. What are you going to do? Oh, I'm not telling you. Not unless you come on board. If you won't help, I'll do it myself. I thought you needed me. No. Having your help would make it easier, but I can do it myself if I need to. You know I can't join you. Come back with me. Let me talk to Father. If this thing is as powerful and dangerous as you say, I'm sure he'll be glad to welcome you back to Corps. No, I can't take that chance, Penny said. I can't join you. You have to know I would say that, Drew said. Penny smiled slightly, but it was more sad than anything else. I thought so, but I wanted to give you the chance. There was a brief flash, one that she felt more than saw, and Penny was gone. Drew sighed and started gathering up her bags to begin her journey home, after glancing around to see if anyone had noticed her companion had vanished in a bright flash. Nobody seemed to have been paying attention. She got up and turned to go when the ground underneath her feet started moving. It grew worse and she fell, unable to stand up as the world around her started buckling and shaking. Earthquake, she heard someone shout before she couldn't hear anything over the groaning and roaring of the shifting earth. It felt like the quake lasted for hours to Drew, but she knew it was only a few seconds. It was a bad one, though. 
She could tell from collapsing buildings she could hear and see and the screams of people trapped inside of them. She sat on the ground, the dust burning her eyes and her nose, and thought about what to do. She knew her father would tell her to get out of there quickly. Earthquakes were outside of their area of responsibility. But she could sense the pain of those trapped in the buildings, the fear and desperation. She got off the ground carefully, feeling a slight tremble of an aftershock, and looked around. The diner nearby collapsed over to one side, and she could sense there were several people still inside of it. The building was unstable, and she knew it wouldn't hold up much longer. Soon it would collapse the rest of the way to the ground, crushing the survivors. She closed her eyes and held up her hand, focusing on the building, finding and holding the vulnerable spots. She knew, even as strong as she was, that she couldn't be able, wouldn't be able to hold it for very long. The people inside came out. They were covered in dust and blood from their injuries, but she could tell none of them had been hurt seriously. She could sense the building was empty after the last of them staggered outside, and she released her hold on it, allowing it to collapse the rest of the way with a crash. The survivors were watching her, wondering what she was doing, but Drew didn't care. She walked out of the courtyard, using her power to sense if there were survivors in any of the buildings along the street. She could hear sirens in the distance and several helicopters overhead, but she knew many of the people in the buildings wouldn't last long enough for them to get rescued. She stopped at one of the stores she'd been shopping in earlier, exploring it with her power, sensing there were two people inside, one of them hurt badly and the other trapped. She stood in a doorway, sensing the weak areas, shoring them up before she stepped inside. One person, the woman who'd taken her money for the clothes she'd bought, was lying on the floor, a big wooden beam across her back. She was hurt, Drew could tell, but the beam was holding her down. Another woman was against a far wall, a thin iron bar, bar that was part of the ceiling having come loose and become shoved into the woman's stomach. She was hurt much worse, Drew thought. She was bleeding internally and would die in minutes. I'm here, she said, kneeling next to the woman who was still conscious and in a great deal of pain. I'll help you. Get out. It's not safe, the woman gasped. Drew touched the iron bar, felt the woman's life through it, used her power to eat away at it, causing the atoms that made up the bar to lose their attraction to each other. In a matter of a few seconds, the bar went from a bank of cold, solid steel to fine particles of dust. What are you doing, the woman asked, and Drew decided now to do something about the pain and the blood loss. She reached into the open wound in the woman's stomach with her power and found where she was bleeding, pinching those places shut, closing the wound in her belly. She found the areas that were flaring in agony and calmed them quietly, and the woman gasped, not in pain this time, but surprise, as the pain went away. Who are you? she asked. Can you stand? Drew asked, holding out a hand. The woman took it, and Drew helped her rise to her feet. She was unsteady, but she could walk. Go outside and wait for help, Drew said. Get a doctor to look at you as soon as you can, okay? Okay, we need to help Tara, the woman said, trying to go to the other woman. 
I'll take care of her. Get outside, Drew said. The woman, still disoriented and unsteady, found her way outside as Drew went over to the other woman. This one was knocked out, but she wasn't hurt as badly as the first. The problem was the big wooden beam that was lying across her back was the only thing that was keeping the rest of the building from falling the rest of the way. Drew took a deep breath and focused her power, cutting through the beam while holding it steady at the same time. Once she had done, part, the part of the beam that was lying on the woman fell free and she kicked it off of her. It was heavy and the physical effort, along with the use of her power, was almost more than Drew could handle. The woman moaned, beginning to awaken, and Drew rolled her over. The movement seemed to revive her even more, than, and she opened her eyes. Put your arm over my shoulder, Drew said. We need to get out of here right now. The woman nodded, extending her arm, Drew taking it and standing, helping the woman th through the store and outside where the first woman, a big blood stain still on her blouse, was walking with a man and a woman in paramedic uniforms. There was an ambulance and fire truck parked at the curb now, their lights flashing. There was no one left in the building, and Drew released her hold on it, the building groaning and collapsing almost immediately. That's her, the first woman said, pointing Drew out to the paramedics. The female paramedic came towards her while the man led the first woman Drew had rescued to the ambulance. I'll take her, the paramedic said, stepping over to the other side of the woman as Drew was helping, draping her arm over her shoulder. Come on, let's go over here so we can take a look at you. She led the woman towards the ambulance and Drew let her go, turning to see if there were any more people she could help. Wait, the man called from the back of the ambulance. Young lady, could you come here, please? Drew turned and walked over to the, towards the ambulance, both of the paramedics watching her. You aren't going to go into any more buildings, are you? The man asked her. If I have to, Drew said. Don't. It's too dangerous. Let the experts handle it, the other paramedic said. There are people in those buildings who are hurt and dying. By the time those experts get here, they'll be dead. I can save them now. How? The man asked. He was looking at the first woman's stomach. There was a big scar where her wound had been before. She's going to need blood, whatever you call it. She'll need more blood. A transfusion, the female paramedic said. She said there was a metal bar in her abdomen. Yes, I got it out and sealed the wound so she wouldn't bleed anymore, but she'd already lost a lot of blood. Is that true, the paramedic asked the woman. Yes, it's true, she said. She made the pain go away, too. What's your name, the paramedic said. Drew, she said. I can help. We can save more people if we start now. The two paramedics looked at each other. There will be more people here in a few minutes, the man said. The woman looked at him for a moment before she looked at Drew and smiled slightly. Okay, let's do this, she said. Drew walked down the sidewalk, the two paramedics following. Two fire trucks drove up and the paramedics waited for them to stop as Drew reached into the damaged, leaning buildings with her power, looking for more survivors. In a couple of places, she found people who were bruised, buried underneath the rubble near the, near the front, 
and it was easy for the paramedics or the firefighters to go in and drag them out, leaving them on the sidewalk so they would be out of danger of being buried if the building collapsed and they could pick them up later. Who is she? Drew heard one of the firefighters whisper to the female paramedic. The woman didn't answer, just gesturing that everyone should be quiet while Drew looked for survivors. A helicopter started flying around them and Drew looked up and saw that it was not a police helicopter, but apparently one that belonged to a television station. Someone had noticed them on the street and she guessed they were being filmed by a curious news reporter. Drew stopped, holding up a hand. There's someone in here, she said, pointing to a building right next to her. It was an apartment building, very old, three stories tall. Where? the male paramedic asked. Third floor, all the way to the back, Drew said. It doesn't look very stable, the other paramedic said. It's not, Drew said. The person is very weak. We need to hurry. One of the firefighters, a tall man with a small mustache, looked at the building. There's no way we can go all the way back up and back there without the building falling down around us. I can keep it from falling, Drew said, but you'll need to be quick. I'm getting really tired. What? The firefighter asked. How, how are we going to find this person? The female paramedic asked. Give me your radio. I can guide you. It's too dangerous, another firefighter said. I'll be able to keep it from falling, Drew said, holding out her hand, a paramedic putting a radio in it. But you need to go now. Drew reached inside, finding the places where the building was weakest, using her power to keep it from collapsing any further. There were a lot of weak points, though, and it took a lot of concentration for her to keep it from collapsing and to keep track of the trapped person and the paramedics and firefighters as they entered the building. There's some stairs. Go all the way to the top, Drew said into her radio. Got it. It was a man's voice. Drew guessed it was the male paramedic. She could sense him climbing the stairs until they were near the top. Then they stopped. Problem, the man said over the radio. What's wrong, Drew asked. She could feel herself starting to sweat from the effort. The ceiling has collapsed here. The stairs are blocked. Okay, Drew said. She managed to free some of her attention from her other tasks to look at the area and see what he was talking about. Can you do anything about it? The man asked over the radio. Drew took a slow, deep breath. I don't know, she said. I'm stretched pretty thin. Let me try. She tried releasing part of the building so that she could use that power to remove the blockage. When she did, she could feel the building start to collapse, so she had to reinstate her support. She tried it at another place and had the same thing. On top of all that, she was still using her power to hold the building and keep track of the survivor. And now she had three more people whose lives were in her hands inside the building, counting on her to keep it from falling on them. Okay, let's see. If I tell you to run, run, Drew said over the radio. She tried to find a little of her power and concentration to use on the blockage. It wasn't easy but she was able to explore the edges of the blockage to see where it came from. She took another deep breath and pushed. What in the world? She heard the male paramedic say over the radio, and Drew knew that he'd seen the blockage lift back up 
into the roof where it had come from. Go, Drew said over the radio. Hurry. She hoped they wouldn't pause to stare anymore as she didn't know how long she could hold the blockage up and out of the way with everything else. She'd already given up the attention she was using to keep up with them to make sure the building she kept the building from falling. She concentrated, feeling her power flowing out of her. She gritted her teeth and hoped they would find the survivor and make it back down the stairs and outside before her power failed and the building fell. Found her, she heard over the radio. Ma'am, are you all right? After a second, she heard, It looks like her leg is broken. We'll have to carry her out. Hurry, Drew said. She could have freed some of her attention to follow them again, but she didn't know if she could be able to maintain her support of the building. The least little change may be enough to cause the whole thing to come tumbling down. It felt like hours while she stood there on the sidewalk. She could still hear the helicopter buzzing around overhead, and she heard a couple of more fire trucks drive up and stop on the street, people approaching her. She could hear the firefighters who had not gone into the building tell the others to be quiet, not to approach or speak to Drew. She tried to ignore them. She could feel the end of her endurance getting nearer and nearer. We're out, the man, male paramedic, not over the radio but nearby, and Drew released her holds gratefully as she heard the building groaning and rumbling as it began collapsing. Who is she? She heard one of the firefighters ask the paramedics before the crashing and rumbling grew too loud for people to talk. Drew came up to one of the male para- to the male paramedic as the other one saw saw to the woman they removed from the building. The woman did have a broken leg, and she was checking her shin where the brick was. I'm sorry, I can't do this anymore, Drew said. He smiled. That's okay, Drew. You've done so much already. Come back to the bus and let me take a look at you. I'm fine. I'm just tired, Drew said. Then you might appreciate just being in the back of the bus by yourself for a little while so you can rest. Yes, I would, Drew said. Thank you. He led her back to their ambulance, the firefighters watching but not saying anything as he escorted her to the back of the vehicle. He stepped out, shutting the door, leaving her there in a welcoming darkness. She sat down on the gurney, then laid down on it, knowing even as tired as she was, there would be no way she could sleep in the thing. She closed her eyes. They were having a picnic, the blankets spread on the ground, a few sandwiches and other snacks there, along with some lemonade Drew had made herself. It was a fair day, not too hot or too cold, with a faint breeze. As often as I can, isn't it nice, Drew asked. Yes, it is, James said. He grabbed a sandwich and ate it with gusto, wolfing it down as he always did, making her laugh. I'm glad you like it, she said. A fairy buzzed around them, landing in the middle of the blanket, checking out the food, curious as to what it was. Go on if you're hungry and you eat that sort of thing, Drew told her. The fairy turned and looked at her and curtsied, buzzing away. A few seconds later, she returned, joined by many others, and they all landed on the blanket and began helping themselves to the sandwiches. I hope we brought enough, James said, laughing as the tiny creatures dug in. Me too, Drew said. There are a lot of them in this place. 
That's one reason I come here so often. I love fairies. I think I do too, James said, and Drew laughed again. You laugh a lot, he added. Drew started to laugh again and stopped herself. Sometimes I do. She realized that she did laugh a lot when she was with him and wondered why. She glanced back down at the fairies who had eaten about all of the sandwiches and were looking for more. You'll never satisfy them, no matter how much food you bring. It wasn't James's voice. She looked back up and saw Penny across from her. The fairies took off in different directions, scattering like startled birds. She stood up quickly, spilling her lemonade. You never brought me to a place like this, Penny said. Why not? You weren't supposed to leave, Drew said. Who was that guy anyway? You have a boyfriend now? A what? Drew asked, astonished at the question. Is that why you won't join me? Because you want to be with him? What are you talking about? I don't want to be with anybody, Penny. You'll wind up with me eventually. You know you will. Nobody will understand you as much as me, Penny said. Nobody will give you what I can give you. What can you give me exactly, Drew asked. Freedom. There will be no need for a sorcerer when I'm done. You can use your power as you will. I'll give you the world, the universe, Drew. I'll have the power soon. Penny, I can't. Yes, you can. Penny faded and Drew knew and Drew was alone with the remains of her picnic. Drew opened her eyes and for a moment couldn't remember where she was. It all came back to her in a rush. Penny, the earthquake, helping the survivors. It was dark in the back of the ambulance, so it took her a moment to notice her father was sitting on the other gurney across from her. Are you all right? He asked her as she sat up, looking around, wondering how long he'd been there. Better. Still exhausted, Drew said. I heard about what you've been doing. I know I'm not supposed to, but how could I say no, Drew asked. Why don't you tell me what happened first before I decide whether or not what you did was wrong? Okay, Drew said and told him of her encounter with Penny. When she'd finished, he sat there quietly for a long moment. Have you considered the implications, he asked. What implications? What are the chances that you should encounter Penny again here just before a major earthquake in all the worlds where you could have been? Why now and why here? What are you saying? You think Penny caused the earthquake? I wouldn't be surprised. Why? To get you to do just what you did. I suspect he's trying to prove a point to make you realize something about yourself. What would that be? That you're weak and foolish. Is that what you think? No. Penny thinks compassion and empathy are traits of someone who is weak. I disagree. You're one of the least compassionate people I know, Drew said. You don't know that many people. And having compassion is not the same as giving it free reign to guide, guide all of your actions. What do you mean? It's not something you can be taught. You'll learn that for yourself. They sat in silence for a long moment. However, since Penny is the one who caused all this in the first place, I don't believe you violated my instructions by helping people here. 
good. I think I'm rested enough to help more. And if you can help too, I, he held up a hand. By now, they have what they need to dig out any more survivors. You've done all you can. Let them help themselves. Have you rested enough to make it back to Marginkor on your own, he asked. Yes, Drew said. I'm not fully rested, but I can do that much. Good. I want you to go home and rest. Tomorrow you have another mission. You sound like you won't be coming, Drew said. I won't. Since Penny has been here so recently, I'm hoping I may be able to track him from here. So go home and sleep in my bed tonight, he handed her a key. Let yourself in my rooms and feel free to use the tools and materials I have there to prepare yourself. Where will I be going? When you sleep in my bed, you will find your way. It has a way of providing guidance. All I can tell you is you'll be traveling very far, farther than you ever have before. It's a world I've never visited. I see. What will I find there? I don't know. I'm looking forward to hearing about it when you get back. If you get back. He was smiling as he said it, but Drew didn't think he was actually amused. She climbed out of the ambulance, her father following her. She stepped carefully onto the pavement, the EMT squatting on the sidewalk nearby, treating a young man who seemed to be dazed with a cut on his forehead. Shouldn't I just go ahead to the place you want me to go, Drew asked. No, you'll need to be fully rested. He glanced around and she could, see, could feel him using his power, searching for traces of Penny. Okay, Drew said, I guess I'd better get started. Good luck. They went their separate directions and Drew could feel the EMTs watching her, still wondering just who she was and how she did what she did. She knew her father wouldn't have been very forthcoming when he'd shown up. Night had fallen while she napped and the moon was up in full. There were no clouds, only plumes of smoke from some fires that had been started by the earthquake. The lights were out in most of the city so she could see the stars. After a few blocks, she was in an area that was almost deserted, the only light from the moon overhead. She felt someone watching her as she walked from up ahead, low, almost on the sidewalk. It was a cat, a really big one, she thought, standing at the mouth of an alley, looking at her, nose twitching, and she felt it wasn't just curious. There was a reason it was looking at her in particular. When it saw she had stopped walking, it turned and dashed up the alley, and Drew followed it. It ran up to a group of trash cans and paused near a big cardboard box, turning and looking at her for a moment before dashing away to disappear among the trash cans. Drew walked over to the box, kneeling and looking inside, seeing it was full of old clothes. Someone had left it here, she guessed, expecting homeless people to find it and go through it, taking what they needed. There was something inside that was calling to her, something causing a tingling in her mind. She reached inside and her fingers touched something that didn't feel like a shirt or a sweater. She pulled it out to where she could see it better in the dim light. It was a canvas courier's bag, one with a long strap that draped over the shoulder. It was old and worn. Someone had used it a lot over the years. 
At one time, it was really nice, well-made, not likely to burst or fall apart. It was still solid and unlikely to burst or tear, she thought, though there were places where it was worn from hanging at someone's side for years. The, the strap was newer, and she felt like it had been replaced a few years earlier. She liked it. It was old, true, obviously used, but it had character, she felt. She draped the strap over her head and onto her left shoulder, the bag hanging onto her, ref, onto her right hip, and it felt right. Strange to say that about something like that, but she felt like they were meant to be together. Pleased with her new bag, she left the alley and resumed her journey home. It wasn't until she'd unlocked the door to her father's room and stepped inside that she realized this was the first time she'd been, here, been there without him. She closed the door and looked around, feeling the power she always felt swirling around the room, especially around the bed. The bed. It was a real bed, not a cot, with a mattress and, a, and big fluffy pillows. The gloves made of pure power surrounded the bed as usual, each of them a world she now knew. There were a couple dozen of them most, of them, most of them glowing slightly blue or green. One wasn't, though. It was flashing, changing from a dark brown to a glowing bluish white and black, and she knew that represented the place she was meant to visit. She turned and went to the mirror, pulling the curtain that covered it aside and looking at a reflection in it for the first time, since the very first time she'd been in that room years before. A younger Drew looked out at her from inside of the mirror, young, not very confident, and afraid. She let the curtain drop and walked over to, to hang her new bag over a peg, peg on the wall where her father usually hung his hat. In the brighter light, she could see where it was indeed worn in places, and she touched it gently, remembering how good it felt to carry the thing. The more she looked at it, the more beautiful it seemed to become. She finally tore herself away from looking at it, going to take a shower and get ready for bed. Once she'd taken her bath and finished getting ready, she lay down on her bed and closed her eyes. She fell asleep almost immediately. She knew she was asleep, which was strange in and of itself, she thought, and she knew that she was going to experience was going to be a dream. She was walking in a rocky, mountainous area. There were a lot of trees, and they were all covered with leaves, so she thought it was either late spring or summer. It was also hot and humid, and she felt herself starting to sweat. She also knew there were people around, thousands of them, most of them were gathered in one spot, not all that far away. Drew felt that was strange for that many people to be gathered in this place. It felt like an isolated area, a place far away from any cities, and it was rugged. Then she realized that the thousands of people she could sense nearby were the only ones she could sense. They were the only people remaining on the entire world. She felt war a terrible war that had engulfed the entire globe, one where neither side would stop until the other was dead, raining fire raining from the skies, bullets and explosions, men and women in uniforms fighting in the streets, dead bodies littering the ground, 
The more people who died, the more the two sides hated each other. Drew knew, though, that it was a war fought by humans against humans. As terrible as it was, as close as the humans on this world had come to wiping themselves out, this was not the reason she was to go to this place. She saw the people now. They were in a camp in the mountains, a strange net draped over the whole area. She saw people wearing uniforms for both armies there, not fighting each other, but fighting together against something else. They had found a common enemy that at least made them forget about their hatred for each other. They were afraid, she felt. All of them had known people who had died. All of them still hated the others in the different colored uniforms, but their fear of their mutual enemy united them. She couldn't figure out what that enemy was, only that it was something they had never encountered before, something that was enormously powerful. The strange net that kept the enemy out somehow or kept them hidden, hidden but she felt like every day a few of them were picked off, killed or captured or something by this mysterious force that terrified all of them. Drew decided then that her father was wise in insisting that she come home and sleep. She would regain her power quickly in this bed, getting herself as strong as always before beginning her long journey to this place. She felt like she's going to need every bit of power she possessed once she got there. Chapter 21 The walk was a long one. Which Drew was expecting, though she wondered as she passed among the stars and planets, how strange, how strange her destination would turn out to be. She carried her new bag, the strap over her shoulder. She just couldn't leave it behind as she was heading out the door. She felt a little silly taking it since it was empty, but it would be nice to have something handy to put things in, she thought. If she could run into something small enough to fit in it that she wanted to take with her. As usual, she felt drawn to her destination, some feeling guiding her steps, and the world around her gradually changed, becoming more mountainous with more trees. It was also getting warmer and more humid, and she knew she was getting close, finally. She thought about James and as she drew near the place. He always seemed to, she always seemed to find herself thinking about the young man, often when she was supposed to be thinking about something else. Her father noticed her distraction, she knew, but he never said anything about it. She, re, she was regretting not dropping in on James to let him know she was leaving, to say goodbye and have him wish her good luck, as he always did. That brought to mind images of James smiling, blushing, laughing, eating. As she walked, she stopped remembering him, stopped wondering what he was doing right at the moment or if he was thinking of her, and just pictured him in her mind. She was so distracted she almost didn't notice it when she actually arrived at her destination, the path disappearing, dead ending into another path, a more regular one in a heavily wooded, mountainous area. Drew stopped, hearing the faint breeze. It was midday, she thought, hot, and she could hear cicadas singing in the trees. Along with the bugs, she heard another buzzing, distant but growing louder quickly. This wasn't an insect, she thought, but a mechanical noise, and she summoned her power, getting ready to strike. Someone hit her, tackling her like she was a football player. It was a human, and as he lay on top of her, holding her still, a man, 
his body completely covering hers. She struggled, but he was very strong, and she was getting ready to strike at him with her power. Please be still and be quiet, or it'll find you and kill you, and me too, he whispered in her ear. True started to protest that she could defend herself when the buzzing grew much louder, passing overhead. She reached out with her power, hoping to at least get a sense of what it was, and sent something small and quick, a machine that darted around the sky and would be a difficult target. Be still, he whispered again as the buzzing grew even louder and louder still. It passed over. She could feel the shadow it left on the ground, and the buzzing grew quieter as it faded away. What was that, she whispered. How could you not know a buzzkill, the man asked, climbing off of her, extending a hand to help her get up. Now that she could see him, she felt he wasn't much older than she was. His dark hair was cut very short, and he wore a dark camouflage uniform. He was carrying a rifle with a pistol and a knife hanging from his belt, and she could tell from the way he stood there looking at her that he was a soldier, one of the people from her dream. He was also draped in the same strange netting she'd seen covering the camp. Now that she had a moment, she could feel that there was some sort of power running through it. Not in the power that she had, but a more mundane sort. There was a generator or battery or something that he was carrying that provided electricity for the thing, and she knew that was why this buzzkill thing hadn't seen them. Who are you, he asked. I haven't seen you around. My name is Drew, she said, and I'm not from here. That's impossible. No, it isn't, obviously. What's your name? Knowles. Private, he said, standing a little taller as he gave his name and rank. Well, Knowles, Private, I'm here to help. Sure you are, he smiled as he said it, but it wasn't a pleasant smile. It looked more like one of her father's smiles, he thought, grim and humorless. Why don't you take me to your camp and I'll explain, Drew said. I'm pretty powerful. I may be able to help you deal with whatever it is that you're fighting. Okay, Brinks will want to talk to you anyway. You'll need to stay really close so the field will hide you too. Buzzkills can read you from miles away. Okay, Drew said, stepping closer. Niles, Knowles putting a hand on each of her shoulders, guiding her from behind along the path. You're awfully trusting of me for a soldier in a war zone. Drew, a few months ago, I would have... I would have you walking with your hands on your head and checked you for weapons and kept a gun on you the whole time. But these days, about all I need to know is that you're human. That automatically puts you on our side. Knowles guiding her towards the camp. It took a while. They were a couple of miles away, and he guided her by letting her walk in front while he kept a hand on her shoulder, nudging her in the direction she needed to go. There was a reason he did it that way. A couple more times they heard the buzzing sound and he covered her quickly as the machine flew over them, unable to see them because of the netting that Knowles had used to cover them both. They didn't speak and Drew thought Knowles wanted to be as quiet as possible as they navigated over the big rocks and through the trees and bushes. There were some birds and she saw a few squirrels but no other people. But she knew people were around. She could feel thousands of them close by. 
She stopped, Knowles almost knocking her down as she as he collided with her from behind. She pointed to the right. It's there, isn't it? Your camp. Yeah, Knowles said. He sounded impressed. They couldn't see it from where they were, and it was dead quiet. How did you know? It's what I do, Drew said. That's the only place where there are any people, isn't it? Yes, unless somebody else is out on patrol, that is, Knowles said. Nobody is, Drew said, walking towards the camp. Now that they were close, Knowles didn't seem to find, feel the need to be as quiet. He started jogging, first catching up with her, then passing Drew as he headed down a path that was barely visible up a steep incline, then suddenly down into a small valley. The entire area from above looked like it was filled with grass and trees. And Drew knew that that was the netting she'd seen in her dream. Here she could feel the power that flowed through it, making it invisible to the machines the buzzkills used to look for people. Knowles led her down a path to a place where the netting was loose. He tugged on it, pulling it aside, showing a gate. There were two women at the gate, both of them wearing uniforms, one of each color. Both of them had rifles leveled at Knowles and Drew. Knowles, what are you doing? One of them asked. I found her in the forest, Knowles said. She just appeared out of nowhere. That's impossible, the other woman said. The only people left here are here. Then where do you think she came from, Knowles demanded. Maybe she came from them, the first woman said. A new trick to get us to show ourselves, and you led her right to us. She's not. She's here to help, Knowles said, though now he didn't sound quite as sure of himself. How do you know that? The first woman asked. How can a kid help us anyway? Drew summoned her power, reaching out and grabbing both rifles with it and giving a tug that caused the weapons to fly out of the women's hands. Drew caught them both, one in each hand, and she was grateful that neither of them fired. I have power, Drew said. They stared for a moment at her before the second woman nodded. Okay, Take her to see Brinks. He's in his office. Drew gave the rifles back to the women and followed Knowles through the camp to see this Brinks that she guessed was in charge. There were thousands of people here. She could sense the ones that she couldn't see underground in hastily dug tunnels. The place was some sort of bunker, she guessed, created during the war. There was a lot of pain she felt and a lot of fear. Almost everyone was afraid, except those that were too tired to feel anything at all anymore. A few people were hurt, wounded by combat during the war, and she was tempted to stop and heal them. Her father would disapprove, though, and she needed to save as much of her power as she could anyway, since she didn't know what she was going to be facing. He led her through a door and down some wooden stairs into the ground, finally down a short hallway. There was a closed door that he knocked on before opening it. There was a man behind the desk who rose as Knowles stepped in and in the side, holding his door for Drew. Hello, the man said. Who is this, Knowles? The man was not all that much older than Knowles, she thought, but he was the highest-ranking person left. His uniform was worn, dirty, and of a different color than the ones Knowles wore. 
The flag on his chest was a different one, too, and Drew knew that until their mutual enemy had arrived, they were on opposite sides of the war that was being fought here. Knowles was now taking orders from his sworn enemy. Her name is Drew, Knowles said. I don't think I've seen you around the camp, Brink said, and she could sense his confusion as to why one of his people would bring a teenage girl to him. That's because I just arrived, Drew said. I'm from another world. Brink snorted a short laugh. You know, a few weeks ago I would have thought that was some kind of joke, but now I guess we all know otherwise. She can help, uh, Noel said. She has powers. Powers, Brink said. What kind of powers? You would call it magic, Drew said. Really? Brinks looked at Knowles, a mixture of anger and amusement on his face, she thought. Knowles, we're in the middle of a war here. Drew reached out with her mind quickly, opening a drawer in his desk and taking out a pen, lifting the pen with her power, bringing it to her hand. She held it up and Brinks' eyes grew wide. That's some kind of trick, he said. Drew looked at him, using her power. You have pain in your right hip, he said. It's because of an injury to your lower back. How did you... He started to say, then he stopped, gasping, as she reached out, touching the torn place between the bones in his back, putting it back together, sealing the tear, removing the pressure on the nerve that ran down the man's leg. He felt the irritation that inflamed it start to fade right away, and the expression on Brinks's face changed from anger, anger to confusion to blissful relief. Oh my God, that feels so much better, Brinks said, and she knew he was hurting a lot more than he'd let on. I really wasn't supposed to do that, Drew said, because you got hurt in the war, but I needed to prove to you that I can help. Can you heal other people, Drew asked. Yes, but you won't want me to. I only have so much power, and it takes time for it to build back up again when I use it. Besides, as I said, I'm not supposed to heal people who are hurt by other people, really. I don't understand, Brink said, gesturing to one of the chairs across from him. Drew came into the room, Knowles leaving, shutting the door behind himself. She sat in one of the chairs, and Brinks looked at her, smiling slightly. She felt something from him that was she felt was strange for him. Hope, a tiny flicker like a flame that had sparked a life deep inside. My father is the sorcerer, and I'm his heir. He, sensed, he sent me here because we sense this world's distress. We defend humanity from threats from other worlds. Using magic? Brinks asked. She could feel him sitting in his chair, flexing the muscles in his right leg as if unable to believe that he no longer felt the intense irritation along the back of his thigh. Most of humanity's enemies use magic, Drew said. Usually they have some sort of use for us, for food, or as slaves, or they want to take our world from us. And you're here to help us. Exactly. But before I need to do that, I need to know what happened here. Brinks sighed. Well, threat from another world is certainly the case. I guess you know that we already we were at war with ourselves. My side against, well, Private Knowles' side. It was bad, and it wound up involving the entire world. 
every nation had to choose. No weapon, no strategy was off limits. We used artificial viruses, suicide bombers, you name it, we tried it. Both sides were guilty of war crimes that were unspeakable now. We weren't even trying to hold peace talks. There would have been no point. Our hatred of each other was too intense. Funny thing is, I don't really remember who started this whole thing anymore, but we no longer saw each other as human beings. This went on for years. Finally, there were only a few thousand survivors left, and, ironically enough, they took refuge in this area only a few miles apart. As soon as we discovered each other, the fighting started. But it all changed when that ship showed up. Ship, Drew asked, and Brinks nodded. It came from the sky, huge, as big as a city. It landed in the valley. For a long time, it just sat there. Both sides had people watching it. We each thought the other was somehow responsible for it. But then one day, those buzzkills came out of it. There were about 10 of them, and they flew over the valley. Any people they found, they killed on the spot using some kind of machine gun or some sort of beam weapons no one had seen before. They killed people from both sides. They didn't seem to care. Then, soon after that, some kind of machine came out of it. It was big and armored and faster than you'd think. We fired at it at all for all it was worth with everything we have to no effect. Fortunately, we developed some technology to hide us from our enemy's recon devices, and it seems to work on this thing's equipment, too. That's the netting I see everywhere, Drew asked. Yes. Unfortunately, it takes power for it to work, and we're running out of fuel and batteries. Food, too. We can't go out to gather any because of the buzzkills and the machine. They patrol constantly. People like Knowles go out to do what they can, but every day some of them don't come back. Sometimes the cloaking device fails or power gives out, and then whoever's wearing it is in serious trouble. He leaned back in his chair, arms crossed in front of his chest. So, what do you think? Can you help us? I think I can, Drew said. I need somebody to take me to see this ship. That would be too dangerous. I can take care of myself. I've faced a lot of things like this. I know I'm only 16 years old, but I've been dealing with things like this for years. Have you faced anything like this before? No, but it sounds like it doesn't even use power like mine. I should be able to take care of it, Drew said. Brinks sighed. To be honest with you, I don't see how I could stop you anyway, if you wanted to go. I'll get Knowles and Hall to take you out there. Would you be? Would that be okay with you? Yes, thank you. You want something to eat? Our rations are running low, but maybe we could scrape some together some beans or something. I'm fine, Drew said. Knowles is probably right outside the door. Tell him to come in here and I'll give him his orders, Brinks said. Drew got out of the chair and went to the door, as he'd said. She could still feel the small flame of hope that was burning deep inside of Brinks and hoped, even though he was being careful to keep it from getting too strong, that he wouldn't succeed in putting it out entirely. Hall was a tall man wearing the uniform of the side that once was Noel's enemy. Drew felt like Brinks did that on purpose, assigning an equal number of people from each side to each mission, 
just in case something came up. Hall listened to Brinks' orders, standing in the office behind the visitor's chairs, arm crossed behind his back, military straight. Drew just sat and listened and used her power to try to sense if anything was going on, anything she could detect. Noel stood next to Hall, his own posture identical. Be careful, she heard Drew Brinks say. You know the protocols. This is recon only, understand? Understood, sir, Hall said. Brinks looked over at Drew. Do you have anything to add, he asked her. No, Drew said. Just take me to the ship and let me look it over. Hopefully, once I see it, I'll be able to figure out a plan. Knowles just got back from patrol, so you'll leave in two hours, Brinks said. Get some rest, grab something to eat. Yes, sir, Hall and Knowles said. How about you, Brinks asked Drew. Is there anything you need? I could use a dark, quiet place to rest, conserve my strength, Drew said. You sure you don't want something to eat, too? I'm good, Drew said. She didn't really care for beans, and she hoped she wouldn't get too hungry before this was all over. Knowles, show our guest to a place that meets her requirements and make sure nobody bothers her while she rests. Yes, sir, Knowles said. Drew got up and followed the two men out of the room, Hall closing the door to the office behind him and going in the other direction. There's a place up the hall a bit, Knowles said, leading her that way. It's supposed to be a place for visiting VIPs. I don't think anybody's using it. Thank you, Drew said. She came to a door and opened it, flipping on a light. It was small, with a single bed, a bedroll, and a blanket and linens at the head, along with two pillows. This will be fine, Drew said. I'll come get you when it's time to go, Noel said, and Drew reached out and grabbed his forearm gently. No, you won't need to, Drew said, Drew said and her power did its work. I'll come find you. You don't know your way around here. I just tagged you. I'll be able to find you no matter where you are, Drew said. He smiled, and his own face turned bright red, and for a moment she was reminded of James, and she wondered just for a moment what he was doing back in the village or at Margin Corps. Okay, I'll go back. I'll go hit my bunk and get some sleep then, he said. See you in a little while, Drew said, smiling, feeling her heat radiating from her own cheeks as he nodded and left. Drew closed the door and hung her bag from the back of the chair and went to make the bed. It didn't take very long and she was debating if she did, in fact, think she was hungry enough to eat beans when she remembered what Penny had told her before. We create our own reality. She looked at her bag hanging from the chair and thought about how much she'd love a nice juicy apple and some cold water. Her power was working doing something and when she opened the bag and looked inside, she found them there, as if she'd packed them before leaving. A big red apple and a canteen that felt cool to her touch and was full of cold, refreshing water. She ate the apple and drank the water quickly before stretching out on the bed. She fell asleep quickly and had no dreams. Chapter 22 Drew woke up. After almost two hours, getting up and stretching, grabbing her bag, and going out to find Knowles. She could sense the bag, the tag she'd placed on him, and walked back up the hallway to go up the stairs to the outside. 
She passed Brinks' office and could tell he was in there with two other people. People she could sense tension, mistrust, and again that faint, flickering hope now kindled in two more people. Drew quietly kept going, climbing the stairs, pushing her way through the door, following the tag. The netting allowed some sunlight through, giving a grayish cast that painted all of the area underneath, underneath it with a murky, cloudy-looking sunlight. It looked like it was going to rain all the time, Drew thought, and felt and was glad that she didn't have to live in this place permanently. Knowles was in a tent nearby. She could sense he was just waking up himself, and as she approached, she could feel the eyes of the other people in the, in the camp on her, wondering exactly who she was and if she actually could do anything to help them. The despair she felt was murkier than, she, than the sunlight, and she felt the, the, flaint, the faint flickering flame of hope she'd kindled in a few people was enough to burn the darkness away for some of them. She felt them wanting to talk to her, to ask her questions, and she also felt their fear, not so much of Drew, but the fear of having that faint hope extinguished forever. Some of them were not soldiers, even though many wore uniforms. Before the war broke out, they were civilians, going about their lives with no thought that a war being fought in a distant place none of them had ever heard of could grow large enough to engulf their whole world. Others were different. Those were the soldiers, and when she touched them with her power, she felt an iciness, a deep cold that reminded her of her father more than anything else. Those were the killers, and she found a few of those in, other, in either uniform. Most of the other soldiers, though, were much like the civilians, scared, trying to be strong for the others, but worried about the future and hoping to survive the next few days. She found plenty of them in each uniform, too. The guards had apparently spread the word of Drew's arrival, and Hall and Knowles had probably verified that Drew did, indeed, have power that might be able to help, she thought. She hoped the people who were staring at her would be able to begin rebuilding their world soon and give no more thought to war with alien creatures or with each other. Hopefully they had finally learned their lesson. She stood at the closed flap to Knowles' tent, not really knowing what to do. She couldn't knock since it was made of canvas, but she didn't want to just barge in on him either. Uh, hey, Private Knowles, she called. Drew, she heard him say inside the tent, is that you? Yes, is it time? Almost. Come on in. The flap unbuttoned and she pushed her way in. Knowles was sitting on a cot. She could tell he'd been asleep until a couple of minutes earlier. His dreams, nightmares of the war and what had come after, still hung around him like a cloud. I'm sorry if I woke you, Drew said. She knew he, she hadn't awakened him, but felt the need to say something, and that was what came to mind. It's okay, you didn't, Knowles said. He glanced at his watch. We got about ten minutes before we need to be at the gate. Don't you have to get your stuff together, Drew asked. It's always together, Noel said, nodding at the heavy backpack he'd been wearing when she first met him. His rifle was nearby, along with his belt that held his sidearm and some of his tools. The netting on the backpack was folded nearby in such a way that he could open it and spread it quickly. 
Hall's going to bring you a kit with your own cloaking material. He'll be here with it in a few minutes, Knowles added. Good, Drew said. She settled on the cot next to Knowles, and he glanced over at her and smiled. Are you ready for this? he asked. As I'll ever be. Are you pretty sure you can do something to help us? I'm sure there's something I can do, Drew said. She didn't feel as confident as she hoped she sounded. You probably you could probably blow the whole thing up with your mind or something, couldn't you? She asked. Maybe. I can't promise anything, though. She realized as she said it that he was joking. Well, these things come, in, come in, home in on loud noises, so we'll need to be really quiet. We'll be carrying our weapons, but none of them have been able to make a dent in it. What happens when you attack it? Drew asked. There's some kind of field or something that stops our bullets and causes any missiles we fired at it to explode before they get there. I see, Drew said. It's a long walk and it's a hot day, so we'll have to bring a lot of water with us. One thing we do have plenty of is water. She felt he was nervous and trying not to let her see. We'll be okay, Drew said. We'll come up with something and we'll end this. Yeah, I like the sound of that, Droll said, but try as he might, he didn't sound entirely convinced. Hall arrived on schedule, carrying a spare pack with a generator and the netting, and the two men helped Drew put it on, spreading the netting on her back, down her legs, and the backs of her arms. There was a hood, too, for her to pull over her head. The generator was small and not all that heavy, but she knew it would be getting really hot really quickly under all that gear. It was getting late in the day. The sun was inching down towards the mountains in the distance as they set off. Hall told him it would take at least an hour to walk to the place where the ship had landed. In the meantime, they had to be very quiet, and if one of them did make any noise, they were all to stay as still as possible for a few seconds, listening for the sound of a buzz kill. Drew didn't ask how they knew their enemy didn't have anything besides the flying weapons. There could be machines set up in the woods to observe, quietly, sending alerts back to whoever was controlling the system. She guessed it was something that they didn't even want to think about. Hall took the lead and Drew walked behind him. She could feel Knowles behind her on the path, could hear him breathing, but she followed Hall's instructions and didn't speak. They paused twice, sitting under a tree, gulping the water they'd brought after waiting almost a minute to see if they could hear one of the buzzkills flying over. They didn't speak much during those times either, being too tired with the walk up and down the hills of the mountainous terrain. Finally, as the sun was almost ready to set behind the distant mountains, they arrived at the area where the ship had landed. Hull stopped, holding up a hand, and then they all lay down on the ground and Drew and Knowles crawled up next to Hall. There, Hall whispered, nodding towards the area directly ahead. At first, Drew didn't see anything. There were trees and tall grass between her and the ship, so it took some time for her to figure out that some of the things she thought were trees were actually pieces of metal, dark and hard to distinguish from the surrounding plant life. It was quiet, the only thing she could hear were the sounds of her breathing as she looked at the thing, trying to make out details. 
Then she closed her eyes, trying to see it using her power. It was odd, she thought. She could sense the two, man with her, two men with her as always, could feel the insects in the ground and the sky, the birds that were unusually quiet, even a few deer hiding nearby. There's a vast area in front of her where she could sense nothing at all. It's like there was a hole in her perception where the thing sat. See anything, Knowles whispered. No, Drew whispered back. Not a thing. Everything okay, Hall asked. It's really weird. It's like it's not even there, or like it's hiding behind something, Drew said. Maybe it's that field thing, Knowles whispered. Interesting, Drew said. I have an idea. What? What should we do, Hall asked. Just wait for one of those buzzkill things to come back, come back, or leave. Why? Knowles asked. If that field is as strong as you say, it probably has to turn off before those things can come and go, Drew said. Wow, Knowles said. I never really thought of that. Yeah, Drew said. I'm just guessing. We'll need to find out for sure as soon as one of those things comes back or it sends out another one. As they lay there, watching, quiet, and after what seemed like hours to Drew, it was probably only a few minutes, they could hear the distant drone of a returning buzzkill. Drew summoned her power and watched the void in front of her as the flying machine approached. It grew louder and louder, sounded like it was going to fly directly overhead, and she hoped it was returning to the ship to recharge instead of obeying a call from the ship because it had noticed them out there. She could hear it directly overhead, and the void in front of her suddenly flashed for the briefest of moments. It was a bit like a photographic negative, she thought, but only for less than a second. The buzzing from the buzzkill dropped in tone quieter and then stopped altogether as it went inside the ship. Anything? Knowles asked. A little, Drew said. I got an idea of the outline. I could find out a lot more, I could tell, if I had more time. It was only down for less than a second. What should we do? Knowles asked. Wait, I think there's about to be another one, Drew said. After a few minutes, they heard another buzzing starting up, this time in the direction of the ship, and Drew called up her power again. A buzzkill emerged from the same place where the first one had disappeared, flying in their general direction, and the field flickered again, letting it through, but only staying down for as little time as possible. Anything? Hall asked as the droning from the thing faded away. No, Drew said. It just won't stay down long enough for me to get a good look. And you're sure if you had more time you could see whatever you need to see? Hall asked. Pretty sure. Drew said. Look, to be honest, I've never seen anything like this before. I think I could get some details if I had more time, but I can't guarantee it. I see, Hall said, looking at the ship. What are you thinking, Hall? Knowles asked. Be ready. I'll give you as much time as I can. Before either of them could protest, Hall had gotten to his feet and removed the hood. He turned off the generator unbuckling the strap that held it onto his body, dropping it on the ground. Wait, stop! Hall, no! Knowles whispered as Hall started walking towards the thing, lifting his rifle, turning the safety off and pointing it at the thing. Die, you alien monster! Hall shouted, pulling the trigger and holding it down. 
The sound of the rifle firing wasn't as loud as Drew thought it would be, but she could hear the impacts of the bullets into the field as it absorbed them harmlessly. Drew knew Hall didn't have any weapons with him that would harm the thing, and that whatever controlled the ship knew that, so she didn't see where it would make any difference. Hall kept shouting and firing, and when he ran out of bullets, he popped out the clip, slammed in another one, and fired some more. An angry buzzing started, sounding a bit like the buzzkills, but louder. Suddenly the field wasn't there, and Drew could see the whole ship with her power. She was so startled, so busy watching Hall, that she almost forgot she was supposed to be getting as much detail as she could. Part of her watched the section of the ship slid aside, and something that looked like a big, big armored suit emerged. Drew could tell it wasn't just a machine. There was something alive inside of it, something that radiated a cool, calm determination as it stood there, Drew's bullets bouncing, Hell's bullets bouncing harmlessly off of it. The chest plate opened on it and the barrel of a large gun emerged, pointing at Hall, who kept firing, shouting, the bullet still bouncing off the barrel of the gun protruding from the chest of the thing. Drew tried to concentrate on the ship, noting the details, committing them to her perfect memory. The ship was really big, as she'd been told, maybe a mile or so across. There was a power source deep inside of it, near the middle, that sent energy throughout it. There was only one thing on it that was alive, she felt. That was the something that was in the armored suit. She couldn't get a sense as to what sort of creature it was, only that it was there. The big gun focused on Hall. There was a single shot, and this one was so loud it almost felt like a clap of thunder, and suddenly there was a small crater where Hall had been standing. His hand still held on to the rifle, which hung there in the air for a second before it fell to the ground. The ship disappeared to Drew's power again as the field switched back on, its ineffective enemy defeated. Did you get what you need? Knowles whispered. Yeah, Drew whispered, hoping she could hear him. He could, she, he could hear her over the, the ringing he had to be experiencing in his ears. I think so. She could hear the armored thing turning and going back inside the ship, the door closing behind it. She got up as quietly as she could, turning and walking to the largest tree she could find nearby the trunk a couple of feet across. She reached into her bag and took out a piece of charcoal that she knew would be there, drawing a quick sketch of her face, being sure to add ears, her power working with her, becoming embedded in the lines. Knowles watched her, saying nothing. When she was done, she turned to him. Let's go, he said, she said. Hello. This is J. Franklin Evans. Thank you for listening to this episode of Stories That Suck. Did it suck? Let me know. Be sure to like and subscribe.